Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor of Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes, and we're on social media at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And on Twitter, we're at pwcomicsworld. This week on More to Come, uh, Angoulême will give you the recap. Woman and Comic Shops, part whatever. Um, Miyazaki versus Otaku Nation. Uh, Preacher Goes to TV. January Sales and Ms. Marvel. The new Ms. Marvel. So, let's get right to it. Um, Ms. Angolim. Yeah. <laughs> Heidi McDonald. Uh, you've, you've given us a little discussion of, uh, about it on, on the uh, last week's podcast, but tell us more um, uh, in your own well, words. Well, it was really great. You <laughs> know, yeah, it was um, a fantastic show, uh, the largest in Europe, so they say. And, um, you know, French comics are printed so much better than ours. <laughs> it's very intimidating. <laughs> Although they do have, you know, I said this to a few people, and I'm not sure they really liked it, but... Um, you know, they do publish some crappy comics in France. I saw them there. So they are only So human. they can They do have some few <laughs> Not special, just Americans. Not just Americans. Yeah, it. they do have some crappy comics there. <laughs> just but, like uh, everywhere else. Just like everywhere else. But very few. Actually, I hate to say it. Very, very few. A distinct minority of crappy comics. And, um, you know, but... Uh, well, most one of the things you mentioned was uh, that for a French comics festival, that more and more Americans seem to be on the scene. Well, I mean, I think there was a significant foreign... Mm-hmm. They do have a lot of foreign comics there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were comic cartoonists from around Europe. But I have to say, the overwhelming... I would say it's like 90% French. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was probably only a few dozen uh, yeah, English-speaking cartoonists there, if even that. Yeah. Um, it was a very small group. Um, but I mean, there were uh, some people from Fran- uh, obviously from all over Europe, from Germany, Denmark. There was a huge uh, Scandinavian contingent, and um, you know, Italy, so, uh, Spain. Um, so you know, England. A lot of the English did go over. Uh, I will say that. But um, go ahead. I'm sorry, Kate. So I wanted to ask you: Is um, how does the experience of it differ from an American style convention? Well, it's or just, festival. Um. It's just wonderful. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I, you know, I did have a very special, special situation because I was part of, I did have VIP mm-hmm. status because I was invited by the festival. Um, and when you're a VIP, you get into the VIP lounge. Um, and also the biggest problem with Angulam, I think the most, inti- there's two things about it that are intimidating. So if anybody wants to go, I'd say there's two things that are intimidating. One is that people don't speak English there. I mean, <laughs> that's awful. And it's, but they speak words. In France, I no mean, less. But I mean, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, there's certain places you can go. Sure. I mean, for instance, every Northern European I met spoke uh, as good or better English yeah. than I did. Okay, so there's certain countries in Europe yeah. where English is definitely a yeah, second sure. language. Uh, France is not one of them. Yeah. So uh, you know, brushing up, uh, carrying a little phrase book around, you know, having some basic knowledge of French definitely helps. Um, but even that is secondary to getting a place to stay, and uh, it's just not. I mean, Bridget Alverson, our uh, comics world publishers weekly mm-hmm. Co- comrade, was staying kind of kind of part of our party, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And she stayed with me at our chateau. And uh, our chateau was at night. It was about a 12-minute drive. I timed it. Um, that equals a 36-euro cab ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about uh, $50, uh, FYI. 
Um, and so rent a car. Well, yeah, I. But that's even that's not that simple. That so anyway, Bridget said if she came back, she would want to stay somewhere closer. And I had to break the news to her that that is close. This is an ancient medieval town. There's a couple of hotels in the middle of it. Uh, most people go on Airbnb, stay at people's homes. Every single place to stay is a closely guarded secret. Like how you get your room. It's like, you know, New York real estate. You know, everybody will say, (laughs) you know, they have it, but they will not reveal their sources. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. very closely guarded. Um, And people have to have some kind of connection to get anything that's even reasonably. Mm -hmm. Some people stay as far as 30 or 40 kilometers away. I mean, I don't even want to imagine what uh, a cab fare for that would be. There are car services that go there. Um, shuttles of any yeah, kind? Yeah, you know, there's not really shuttles. And I, I mm. wish I had been able to converse more with the actual just, you know, man yeah. in the street or fan in the street, so to speak, and kind of find out more where people were coming from because this is definitely uh, the biggest mystery to me. You know, I had a magic wristband that got me a car whenever yeah. I wanted one. So that is like the greatest thing ever in the for history sh- of the world, essentially. Sure. Um, you know, everything else is, is kind of like a, a typical show. You know, there's, there's, but about Saturday night, every restaurant is booked and, you know, you need to make reservations for dinners and blah, 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 blah. Well, I think you're still ex- expecting us to, to know more about this than maybe we do. Say, when you go to a regular con in the United States, you walk into a church basement or a convention center somewhere and there's your con. But I'm getting the impression that this is not the well, way you know it what? is Angle in England. is a festival. And I think the word festival is really important. And I, I think now I understand a lot more people who have been to it and, you know, come back from the old world uh, with these radical notions. You know, it's like Marco Polo going to China and, and inventing pasta when he came back to Italy. Uh, once you see the comics festival in action, you are never going to be satisfied with the con again. Because, again, it's a beautiful medieval town. Uh, the festival itself is spread out all over the town in terms of there are tents where the exhibits are set up. Now, I must say, if you took all of these tents and put them back to back, you would have a very small show. I would say it's not even as big as Baltimore. I mean, these are not huge, huge exhibit halls. And that's what really, one of the things that really surprised me. It's really not that big square footage at all. Um, But they're jammed. But the attendance is massive, though, isn't it? That's what they say. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how they, you know, but they do sell tickets. Yeah, yeah. They sell, mm-hmm. t- you, you have to have a ticket to get into the tents. So I'm not going to, yeah, yeah. you know, gainsay. I mean, they say 200,000 people go. Mm-hmm. I think where they're going is to all of the exhibitions, mm-hmm. which are around. Because they had at least 10 different art shows. And these are museum level quality. Mm-hmm. These are beautifully conceived um, you know, multimedia, mm-hmm. they are the equivalent of going to, I mean, like the Spiegelman show. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not yeah, that, yeah. quite that big, yeah. but it's a, it's the equivalent of a, of a museum level show. And it's spread out throughout the town. There is a museum of graphic novel, Ben, uh, ben I, my French accent has not even approved <laughs> one iota, um, uh, that I didn't get to go to because it was too far away. So basically, instead of San Diego, where you run from one end of the hall to the other to um, the Gaslight District, uh, it's probably about the same amount of distance where you run up a cobblestone hill. So there's not one person the whole time I saw wearing high heels. It'd be impossible <laughs> well, to traverse <laughs> the streets. Um, so well, I mean, I can various see- parts of the uh, show are in various ancient 
Yes. One is buildings. in the basement of Town Hall. Uh-huh. Another uh-huh. is in a church yeah. basement. So it's, another is at the museum. Talking in some, yeah, I didn't get to see any of the programming, know, chateau unfortunately. Chateau somewhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, there's a lot of old buildings there. And, uh, you know, they're named after Frank Can. Uh, well, the one I did was in English. Yes, but uh, not really. You know, yeah. it is a, yeah, it's a, it's a French, French language mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, oh, Kate, you had a question. Oh, yeah, what I was me. going to say is maybe the fact that they're so spread out is part of how they're able to fit so exactly. many people in a small exactly place. exactly yeah. it. Because there are as many yes. people, like, traversing the yes. streets of the entire town as there would be, like, crowding in one hallway Absolutely. to another. Absolutely. And the main drag is kind of like a mall. I mean, there's, like, stores there. There's shops mm. there. There's the biggest department store in France is there, um, for instance. Right. And not yeah. There's a Fanac there, yeah. and uh, you know there's sandwich shops, there's creperies, um, and uh, uh, on the Saturday stuff. of the show, it was it was never quite as bad as it is because there's no cosplay. That's the other thing. So there's not hot chicks in outfits that are stopping traffic with their phot- photographs. There was none. No people dressed up. There's a couple of girls who were kind of in the steampunk kind of manga kind of stuff, but no real cosplay. But as crowded as the street was, you could always move. It was never like mm. you were in danger of your life like you are at New York and occasionally at San Diego. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people there. But it's spread out over several square miles. And um, It's interesting what you're saying about cosplay because it, the, the manga market there is fairly strong. But I, this show... The, the culture is different. The, 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 but, the but the well, the week after there was a big manga show in, uh, in Paris. You know, see, And yeah. the manga shows draw a lot of people. Yeah. But, Angoulême but Angoulême is, is not, not for it's that. It's Dandesinet. It is not. Yeah. Yes, it is for a, a different kind of thing. And yes. you know, the other thing that I... I've been to one other European festival which was in Barcelona, the Spanish show, which is considered the most mainstream of the major European shows. Uh, but both of them, um, you know, this is going to sound privileged. I always get yelled at when I say things like this, but, you know, I did post pictures of it. I was tweeting about it and Bridget was tweeting about it. We couldn't shut up about how awesome the press room was because it was this medieval <laughs> hall. I mean, actually not medieval. It was like more like 19th century in town, in the, in the ancient town yeah. hall building, you know, they had 20 foot ceilings, literally. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, <laughs> and, but the more to the point, it was really a very comfortable place. Yeah. Because they gave you free coffee, free cognac, free water. But I mean, free it was great. Cognac. But they had <laughs> only in France. Only in France. It's a local delicacy. At five o'clock every day, there'd Talk be about a comfort at station. Noon, yeah, noon and five o'clock, there would be a cognac party. But you know, at BEA, there's there's parties. You know, well, every yeah, day yeah, on not, the floor. Not free I, don't get, I don't remember getting cognac in the press room, but <laughs> in, in France, cognac is you know. Yes, I'm sure. They, it's like that flows pop. like water, but it's like pop. Uh, but I mean, I'm just saying, it was a really, no, it, it was great. a really good place to work. You know, I mean, yeah. I saw a lot of people always working there. It was a great place to hold interviews. I saw a lot of the stars, uh, the guests of the show uh, being interviewed in the room. They held press mm-hmm. conferences there. So, I mean, it was, a, it was mm-hmm. even though I'm playing up the luxurious aspects of it, it was a very functional room as mm-hmm. well. And it wasn't just to hang out in, although it sure was great to hang out in. So, well, I mean, I, I will say that does sound uh, kind of different from the press room at New York Comic Con, <laughs> yes. which on one hand was large, but on the other hand was really not very good for interviews. No, no, no. Uh, having tried it. Well, uh, I mean, they still are ahead of us on some things, definitely yeah. on some things. And, uh, you know, just to just to uh, wrap it up there, um, I mean, I have a lot more to come about, uh, to, to say about this. I'm still putting up some pictures and things. Um, I think one of the biggest questions is how much do they want to become more of a global show? Hmm. And 
Uh, I definitely saw two factions on that. There's some people who really want to keep it the old way. And some people who say, guess what? It's the 21st century. Comics are global. And the show needs well, to be more Well, that seemed to tie into some of the controversies right, exactly, around the show. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm not even sure which side I come in on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I was definitely being there. Myself and Bridget being there was definitely part of the updating uh, aspect of it. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I understand that the way it's mm. been has been charming and wonderful and pure and beautiful and, and all those other things. And, you know, I would be resentful, too, if I had all these kind of wahoos coming in. And, but, but on the other hand, it messing can be up my show. charming and wonderful and pure and still have people from other countries at it. Well, more of them. so you say. I mean, you know. <laughs> Americans the ugly ruin Americans. everything. Right. Yeah, Americans oh. do exactly. ruin everything. Yes, hell is our... Americans, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even uh, if you're an American. Oh, but um, speaking of foreign people coming and bringing their controversies with them, there was the Comfort Woman exhibit oh, controversy. Yes. Okay, so um, to give you a little background, um, during World War II, um, there were the uh, phenomenon of comfort women in which thousands of Korean women and girls were uh, basically taken and forced into prostitution for Japanese soldiers, which, understandably, Korea has still feels very sensitive about. And Japan has not apologized for. And so this year at Angolim, um, sponsored by the South Korean government, they had an exhibit of art from 10 different manhwa about comfort women, uh, manhwa being... Korean comics and I mean this these were you know beautiful well done comics but about a social topic which is controversial um, and to the Japanese to the Japanese <laughs> well I mean well the controversy is is uh, not so much did it happen was it bad to anyone who's not Japanese the consensus is it did happen it was bad um, but the Japanese ambassador to France actually said that it was quote-unquote regrettable that the festival was used for quote-unquote political use. Um, Basically, and and along the same terms that like uh, the Japanese um, diplomatic service has objected to there being um, statues memorializing comfort women in the United States. Like basically, how dare you? so it's it's very. I don't quite get it. I mean, the Japanese seem to to, to virtually. I mean, they don't deny that that this happened. They don't they, like but, talking about but it, but they sort of deny that it should be yeah spoken about. Well, they, even though it was a horrific period in their history, and and and, and of course well, nobody's going to stop talking thing about is it. Is that they're? It's not so much that they don't want to talk about it themselves, as that they feel as if it's somehow inappropriate and wrong for anyone else to speak about it. Yeah. Which well, is I, an interesting it, it, perspective. I, it's yeah. funny because I didn't see the um, protest that was going on there. I know there was some drama, but uh, there was a few, actually one evening I was uh, hanging out and there was a woman from Tokyo who was there and, you know, we were just talking and, and, and she mentioned the show and she was she was like, mm, like, I'm not sure why they did that. It's very strong. I mean, she was kind of a little upset and unnerved by the fact that they had this show up there 
And so, you know, it definitely touched a nerve. And it was a beautiful, let me put it this way, it was a very disturbing show. I didn't see the whole thing, but they had a movie on the outside that was, you know, pretty graphic, that was kind of trying to show the experience of these women. But, you know, and, it's not um, like there aren't plenty of comics about other terrible things that happened in World War II going on. Yeah. Well, many of which are Japanese. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they don't like, I mean, I don't want to say, oh, they don't like, yeah, but I mean, but you know, it's a very su- sensitive subject a, in Japan. a cultural yeah. thing there that you I mean, the, uh, also don't, you're not very direct. Also. If I'm not stereotyping. Uh, there are still, as far as I can make out, and this is only based on you know, following the manga industry, but there's still a lot of uh, inter-Asian uh, national tensions, shall we say? Yeah. I think between well. Japan, <laughs> North <laughs> Korea, South and Korea, China, <laughs> Taiwan. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of moving parts to these tensions uh, that we don't necessarily get. Japan not- and World War Two. Yes, <laughs> I think that it's also part of Japan's, um, you know, I think it's the fact that uh, the Korean manhwa industry was doing it might have even been a little more uh, salt in the self-inflicted no wounds doubt. <laughs> um, although what's very interesting is that while there are these pre-existing cultural tensions particularly among older generations that there's this um, with basically people under 30 there's this this huge cross-pollination between um, Japanese pop culture and South Korean pop culture mm-hmm. where you know a lot of people are consuming it each other's stuff in well, each other's country. Well, I, I, my impression was that it was one way. No. I mean, uh, I, I, my impression was that in Japan, they don't like man, manhwa. Well, as far as... She, well, you're talking about pop culture in general. Like, I'm talking, for, yeah. Like K-pop as well as something yeah, um, like... Yeah, K-pop, K-dramas. Mm. Are, Where the are comics, be- it's pretty much the other way. I mean, yeah. South, the South Korean... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, probably it's true. Probably consumes much more Japanese with, manga, with, obviously. With comics, it seems to be more of a one-way street at the right. moment. But uh, other aspects yes. of pop culture, yeah. with the younger generation, there seems to be more sympathy and right. and interest in each right. other, which makes it sort well, of an interestingly good, you know. intergenerational conflict as well as a international right. exactly. One. They just need to have like a god spell for, you know, their generation, the coming up generation. They just need to have the hippies of both youth, you know, <laughs> just unite in a musical number. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, everything can be so- can be solved with song and I'm dance. only half joking. <laughs> All right. Um, so, shall we look at the next dismal episode of Women yeah. in Comic Shops? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we've even talked about women in comic shops as much. Yeah, yeah. but that well, you know, it's a new facet. No, we've talked about this a number of well, times. We talked about women in comics every <laughs> single week, but here's the newest, the newest facet. Okay, you want to? Um, Noelle Stevenson, uh, the cartoonist well-known uh, behind the Mona. has a guest on this podcast. Yeah. Um, has posted a comic about her unfortunate experience in a comic shop um, where basically after being ignored and requesting Lobo, they discussed the, the, the men who worked at the comic shop uh, basically ignored her and uh, said, well, yeah, now women like Lobo because he's hot. Yeah, but I mean, I, it wasn't even that. At first, she wanted to buy one of her own books that she was in, which actually, is, nobody's actually called Boom on why she's buying her own book. But uh, anyway, well, and, and it was no, like, it was on, Adventure lots Time. Of people, yeah, I know. But Adventure Time, and uh, basically, they were like, oh, don't you want My Little Pony, yeah, too? Yeah, there was the My Little yeah. Pony I reference, mean, too. Um, yeah. And I forget where she lives. I think she lives in the Midwest somewhere, if we want to try to. She didn't name the store. 
that had this horrible I, behavior. I don't think that's the but point. It, it doesn't matter. It really yeah. doesn't matter, you know. But I think, actually, what I think is important is that's... They kind of like shamed her. Yeah, that, but no, I think what's really um, important is that we are in New York and we have a plethora of awesome comic shops and we don't always know that it's not like this everywhere. And yeah. I think her comic really, you know, put that into sharp relief. This didn't happen 30 years ago or 20 years ago. I mean, this happened just a little while ago. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I have seen my share of terrible comic shops. Um, partly in my hometown of Pennsylvania, mm. in which there are some decent ones, and which there are some comics which have a different ones have a different variety of problems each. Mm-hmm. Um, there's ye old um, oh, I can't explain our organizational system to you. Just tell me what you want, and I'll find it for you. Which uh, means that every time you want to consider a comic, you have to go up to the comic bro at the desk. And, like, tell him what you want and endure him kind of looking at you like, really? You want that? Which, you know, is... Jesus, what century is this? Yeah. Um, Which means that due to their lack of organizational ability, you need to submit yourself to their judgment for your purchases. Mm. Do you think they do that to men, too? Well, I mean, I think they're slightly less likely to judge you if you're a man, but I'm sure they get their share of obnoxious judging as well. Because I think that's what... Basically, anyone who... What a lot of people were bringing up in this discussion was that um, this is very bad for women, but that it's also a symptom of a a larger problem in comic shop culture, Mm -hmm. where anyone who, for whatever reason, they don't think fits in with what they think a real fan is or their target demographic is, um, just basically gets treated badly. Right. And so if you're a man who's looking for the wrong comic, if you're a woman at all... If you're, you know, the wrong age, if you look too old or too young or too trendy, they're just going to give you crap because yeah. they think, I don't know, it's their turf and somehow you're invading I'd, instead of giving yeah, them money. But I mean, this is really like a holdover of the very worst origins of the direct sales market. And, um, you know, when I ran the story on the beat, uh, Joe Field, uh, former co- president of Comics Pro and um, owner of Flying Colors in Concord, California, and really one of the leading retailers who helped to change this horrible thing, uh, said, oh, isn't it a shame that we talk about the bad stores? And, you know, I mean, I think he was trying to put a positive spin on it, but I I think it's really important that we point out that this is not uncommon, and it's it's happening, and, you know, for the industry... It's very industry, bad for comics. Yeah, but the industry really needs to address this. You know, when I was with Friends of Lulu nearly 20 years ago, we put out a pamphlet called How to Get Girls Into Your Stores, where you attempted to educate the comic shops of the time into how to treat customers like customers and not like intruders. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like... It, it seems to still be a problem yeah, in the direct market. like, maybe people... Maybe the comic shop industry should you know, have some things on how to treat customers in general to make it easier for the comic shop owner to, you know, put up the little poster behind the desk like, these are things you should not do to your customers. What's really depressing about this is it's really hard to believe that these guys don't know that this is going on. Well, you know what is really interesting is if you read my comments, there was this one guy who got in there and he was really nice about it, but he's trying to say that a comic shop should be a safe space for a certain kind of nerdy male. And you know? that, you know, he kind of, well, wasn't, was he the one who was like, like, 
I don't blame you, but I kind of in my heart wish that nobody else liked comics. Yeah. You know? Well, I don't think that that's an unusual attitude no. in the comics community. Well, that, you know... You can feel um, however you want, but when you start yeah. trying to impose it on other people, like, uh, that's kind of twisted. I, I, I think there is a notion of who are all these people. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I mean, so much How of the industry... How dare they like what I like. ...or the community is about, we're a despised minority, and therefore, we know more about our little p- patch of turds than anybody. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you don't know shit. Oh, um, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry about that. And, I mean, I think there's some residue of that, even as we're seeing, you know... In general, the Growing comic pains. shop landscaping starting to change. I mean, certainly in some stores, if not in all of them. Mm-hmm. But I, well, I, I, th- I mean, I mean, I have to say that I I have been on the receiving end of this in some of these fabulous New York stores that you're not supposed to get it in. But I just got a new um, fabulous hipster spin on this kind of crap in several stores where <laughs> you buy a comic and they're kind of like, ah ha ha, ah ha ha, isn't that cute? And you're, lo- I mean, they don't say that, but that's like, I've got a really, and don't you want to buy this comic instead? And, you know, like, oh, we don't carry that here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I mean, I do feel like there was sort of a gendered aspect to it there, too. Um, because instead of it being, I wasn't a nerdy male, it was, I wasn't an artist an artistic male but it was the same old shtick and I was like guys you know maybe you're too cool for money but this is not how to run a store right right and uh, you know stores should be welcoming to all different well, to kinds anybody. of customers yeah. but I mean I, I am kind of fascinated by this whole idea that there should be a you know safe space for male fans, <laughs> for goofy I, males, yeah. for goofy males, and I mean, I and, you know, well, this then is, start a private club. They have dudes. a place. It's called home. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's where well, they should go. Well, they like go. to get together. It's like Masonic Hall. They want yeah, to get together with other young that. men of I their own. I can understand that. But, you know, you know. Um, well, this is why you but, start a club, dudes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or alternately, hang out on any of the many message boards where you've scared off basically. Anyone with two X chromosomes. Yeah. Um, because you've managed to make the whole world basically a safe space for yourselves. That's true. Yeah. That is very true. But um, uh, yeah, I will say, uh, I, I, I think that, you know, these are problems that will always be around in some way. I, I just, I think the comics well, industry, I think it highlighted it in a way. I think, I think comics industry needs to, you know, once again say, you know what? This isn't solved, people. Well, let's I, not pull back the, let's uh, not repeal the Civil Rights Act. And just furthermore, yet. I mean, part of the problem is that a lot of the, glorified portrayals of what comic shop culture should be like uh, pushes a slightly cuter version of the same. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. Uh, and, I'd, well, I mean, I had a big run-in with the, uh, with the uh, people of uh, Secret Stash who are on Comic oh, yeah. Book Men. Mm-hmm. We had a big Twitter mm-hmm. war, and, and I've been invited to come on to their podcast tomorrow and discuss it with them, but... Um, you know, there's a huge snowstorm snow coming, so, so I don't yeah. know. I mean, by the time you hear yeah. this, either I'll have died in a snowbank or have appeared on their podcast. But Actually, um, since you brought it up, am I the only one that thinks Big Bang Theory is not funny at all? No, there's uh, thousands and thousands of people <laughs> okay. who feel that okay. way. Okay. But you, know, they are, you know who it's funny to? Silent majority. Yeah. My grandmother. 
Yes, it's not. No, really. It's My true. grandmother thinks it's hilarious and is like, see, I understand your culture now. And I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, like, I'm glad it makes you happy, right. but Minstrel- it's a little uncomfortable for me. It's, okay. it's, it's sort of like minstrelsy for geeks, really. Okay. You know, so. <laughs> okay. But I mean, Geek they do. Face, but it? Just, to, okay. just, to, just to, you know, drive that point home, the show does reinforce the idea that when a woman goes into a comic shop she is immediately treated as a uh, unidentified foreign object yeah. or, or when, when a woman is, is uh, among any geeks at all yeah. I mean like when I, I said to my grandmother you know like we're not like that she's like well it's not about people like you and I was like yeah it uh, is <laughs> um, oh, well. but uh, I mean my grandma can stand in for most middle America in that regard I think and I think it I think Things like that reinforce the tendencies of things like yeah. the shop that she went into. Yeah. Absolutely. Where people are being told this is what they are and that this is okay. And that we are not them and they are not us. Well, hopefully we'll start seeing some incremental improvement, I hope. <laughs> I mean, Name and shame. Uh, but let's, uh, uh, let's move on um, to... Um, Another topic Miyazaki, of... Yes, well, back to Japan for a moment. Miyazaki and Otaku Nation mm. uh, and the anime industry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he doesn't seem to have um, a whole uh, high regard for um, you know the, the anime fans in some ways. Or at least, um, yeah, specific well, what's the, what's type of anime fan. He, uh, he, he was uh, being interviewed, and he did, one of the problems with the anime business are the people essentially that are obsessed with it. He, well, <laughs> well, his problem is that he, he feels that the people who are creating anime are too fan-like. Need to get out more often. In that <laughs> they... Talk with real people. Is that they... Well, that they, they don't spend time with other people and aren't interested in other people, and this hurts their ability to depict them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he might have a point. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Um, he says... Well, he explained that animating people can only be done by people who spend time observing people, something that he feels the industry lacks because it is, quote-unquote, full of ot- otaku. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In other words, you can't necessarily depend people if all you d- depict people if the only thing you observe are other depictions. Yeah, <laughs> mm, basically. Um, and um, he's been known to object to, let's see, um, stereotypical anime actor voice because he feels that the exaggerated voices they put on are not like real people and he doesn't <laughs> like <think>? them. <laughs> um, and and other yeah. such stylistic things that he just yeah. feels are <laughs> sort of an insular self-reinforcing Well, you know, this is very much something that was talked about in comics 30 years ago. I mean, this was literally what uh, was suggested, that people needed to get out more, needed to interact with other humans more, uh, needed to do life drawing more. And, you know, it's a very common... It's a... You know, I I mean, I'm sure... The uh, real world... You know, Socrates said this. He said, kids, you have to go out into the world and, and, uh, you know, experience (laughs) things for yourselves. Um, you know, I mean, this kind of goes back to the to always. And but you know what? It's a great lesson coming from Miyazaki because it's it's you know it's often true, and and yeah. you, you know it happens. People just get into their own little otaku world, and you know a message from uh, Miyazaki sensei that you need to get out of the house is is uh, you know should be heeded. Let's say it's a word to the wise. Yeah, to for sure. Uh, preacher moves to TV. 
Right. Well, the long brewing uh, preacher mm. television show, uh, which has been puddling along for years and years. Uh, preacher was the hit Vertigo comic of the 90s by Garth Ennis and uh, Steve Dillon. Uh, ran for 60 issues, I believe. And it uh, concerned one Jesse Custer, who uh, was the product of a union between a demon and an angel and went on a quest across America to find out why God had abandoned yes. humans. Yes, yeah, so a very... Uh, uncontroversial storyline. He was aided in this by Tulip, a his ex-girlfriend, uh, who was a assassin, and Cassidy, a fun-loving Irish vampire. And, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite comics yeah. of the 90s. I eagerly awaited every issue, and I was certainly not alone. And many yeah, people wanted to make a TV show out of it, uh, despite what was then incredible violence, scatology, scat- scat- oh, yeah. scatology um, blasphemy, uh, you know, one character was bald and, you know, they cut his head so it looked like a giant penis. So he spends the rest of the book wearing hats to hide his penis head. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's the kind blasphemy of... never bothered me. I mean, when I well, first picked it up, the, it, the violence mm-hmm. was so spectacular. I was kind Not of Not to mention the scatological elements. I mean, so, there you it's, go. it's the kind of comic where when I was a teenager, I thought it was, you know, brilliant and amazing. And I mean, I'm not saying that uh, Garth Ennis is not a great writer, but, you know, things that seem super edgy when, you know, you're just getting old enough that you're allowed to read it. I have to say that as an adult, just are less inspiring. Well, what's, well so, that's a great point. I haven't read it in quite a while, so. Yeah, I mean, I, but I, but I wonder how much that... of its appeal is novelty. And I wonder, in our more violent world whether it'll just seem like more of the same or whether it'll no, because still they'll, be they'll up the level well, of violence but you too, know but, uh, <laughs> but I, think, but I think we really need to look at this we haven't mentioned a lot of very key points about how yes, this is bought to tv because because yes the principles involved the, well the principles involved the producers because, are seth rogan yeah. and uh is his part his partner who's now i can't remember evan goldberg yeah and uh as i said uh i mean i love their i don't smoke pot but i think they're hilarious so anyway <laughs> um, and I love Superbad. I thought that was a wonderful quest movie about growing up. And, and uh, But this is the end. I've mentioned it here on this and podcast. I, I love One of my it. favorite movies sure. of 2013. And it involves angels and demons yeah. and hell and God and yeah. all of the themes yeah, of this. And to me, the tone of that movie was perfect. And well, I, if they could bring that tone to Preacher... I would not have thought of that. But work. I feel like, in a way, they might bring a lighter touch to it than the yeah. original production did. Yes. And maybe that's what's needed to soften it enough to work for television well, think, without scaring people I off every week. I think Garth wrote it as a dark black comedy. Well, I mean, yeah, it oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it, like, was, yeah, yeah. it was a black comedy. But I mean, there's but, no, no level of violence is too much for for the contemporary audience. Yes, and also the other, <laughs> the other point that I wanted to bring up you know. is that it's being done for AMC, which their mm. biggest hit is, of course, The Walking Dead, which is just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit violent and bleak and dark. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I've mentioned this every time it's the Preacher Show is brought up, but, uh, you know, if you watch American Horror Story, uh, I could not believe the things I was seeing yeah. in that show. Three ways, and... Uh, your graphic mutilation, people's eyeballs being pulled out with melon ballers. I mean, this is yeah. stuff that, uh, you know... That's kind of not in the same category as three ways, i got to say. Well, <laughs> I, but I'm saying it went, it went all the way. It went all the way to show all of these things. It was very sexual. It was very violent. It was very scatological. Yeah. It, had every, it was all the stuff that was in Preacher. Mm-hmm. I, I so. think we're going to get... Yeah. yeah, the time is right now. <laughs> yes, the time I is think right. we're going to get the and full... And one tiny thing about Preacher that is very cool is that it actually, well, to me, it's cool. 
uh, is that the rights had reverted from DC and Vertigo. So it's owned by Garth Ennis and Steve Allen. should. Who are friends of mine. I'll be really honest mm-hmm. with that. They're pals of mine. Uh, and, um, you know, if this show becomes a hit, they're going to be really rich. That's and great. I'm I, very happy. I'm for you know, for that. It's always good when the money goes to the creators. Yeah, yeah and I know it. they'll buy me a drink. That Warner Brothers. So. <laughs> so let's root for that. Yeah. <laughs> Warner Brothers already <laughs> has enough money. Yes. Exactly. It's good yes. to see the money go to yes. creators. So, uh, so, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Uh, more right. to come on that. And, all right, January sales. Yeah, well, uh, they were uh, droopy. They were definitely, for the first time, this is very almost prophetic, symbolic. I don't know what it is. But uh, uh, for the first time since August 2011, only one comic sold more than 100,000 copies, which was the, uh, Batman 27 by the very well-liked Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo team. Uh, in August uh, 2011, the one comic that sold more than 100,000 copies was JLA number one, which was the first comic in the New 52. Mm. Now we know that since the New 52 came out two and a half years ago, uh, it's been great guns. Uh, the rising tide has lifted all boats, and sales have been booming. Every month we have discussed new records, the greatest volume, blah, 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 up, 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 and this is the first time that well, things were a little bit in the doldrums, and graphic novels were down 14%. Well, I think one thing is, is you have to understand, you have to look at across the board sales of everything except for snow boots has gone down in the united states in the month of, of january uh, but kate remember these numbers reflect pre-orders not actual um ah. sales not this uh, is the direct market yeah oh this, this is, this is this not is, this is pre-orders um, not actual in sell in. sales. it's yes. not sell through it's like not sell through it's yes. sell in not sell through well then yes. that's interesting because yeah. i was going to say like well, I not would, many things sold I would, this January. I would agree with you, unless you were the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. But no, these represent um, you know orders by retail stores, yeah. not what yeah. people bought in the stores. And um, yeah, but you know that said, January is traditionally a very low retail month. Um, everybody knows that everything is down um, unless you have sales. And uh, so I don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, I I haven't even talked to my. Um, my um uh you know consultants on this my informants on this to see what 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 they think where they think this is going i mean it's certainly notable and interesting and uh but is it prophetic is it the beginning of the end uh, i would not you know i don't think anybody should panic at this point yeah. we still have a much larger there's still a lot more dollars however here's one thing i haven't i haven't said or written anywhere and you know how sometimes i say things on the podcast that i don't like yeah. to write um it's interesting to me with the graphic novel sales are way down and even looking at last year's graphic novel sales, things like uh, Unwritten were in the top 10. And, you know, Vertigo has undergone a really mm. big drop in the last year with the departure of Karen Berger. And um, and they, they haven't really fully started their no, relaunch they haven't, yet. But I mean, they've know, got it coming, but they're not. Yeah. But you not, know what? Their graphic novels did really well. And those were, uh, yeah. you know. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's interesting that, I, I mean, I'm not saying this is a whole big part of it, but I mean, it's very notable that, um, you know, the Vertigo graphic novel store is not being replenished. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it, and DC in general. I mean, the new 52 graphic novels were great the first mm. volume, but a lot of them, unless they're a big hit book like uh, Batman, are not really holding their, their sales well, uh, either. I mean... I'm going to say, come out and say I think part of the problem is that they're still taking a completist attitude toward it yes. and numbering it as if everyone's got a collection, which is scaring people off from realizing that some of them are complete storylines, yeah. which is the way they used mm-hmm. to market them. Yeah, but no, I, I actually I disagree with that. I oh? mean, there was a big yeah. I think numbering them is the way to go because otherwise people don't know where to begin, you know, with them. And I, it was actually there was a lot of research done that numbering them is better is than not. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. So. 
All right, well, we'll, we'll obviously revisit yeah, this yeah, sales, yeah, yeah. sales just, numbers uh, as just, we move forward. You know, um, but really, uh, you know, but uh, a sales ha- a, a, a success story for sales actually yes. a standout. Uh, yes, it's Ms. Marvel, the new Ms. Marvel, um, number by one G- by G. Willow Wilson. Yeah, um, and, uh, and the artist uh, whose uh, name Adrian I'm leaving Adrian out. Alfona. Yeah, who yeah, did it, Runaways? Another it, great. Uh, uh, comic yes, about. the best run on, on Runaways. Yes. I have to say. So this is a new heroine, um, a Pakistani American. Yes, a, a, a Muslim, young Muslim girl. Um, I thought the writing was really terrific and lively and breezy and fun. Yeah, I mean, to give you some background, this book had a lot of uh, pre-press push. Yes, that like they they both intentional from Marvel getting the word out there, and also from people picking up on the story and saying, "This is interesting." They've got a big push between behind a new superheroine who is a Muslim American. Like, what is this going to mean for this comic and everything? Um, and I've seen a lot of books that get a lot of pre-press and in theory are very revolutionary everything, but in practice are maybe not as well written as they might be. So, you know, this book had a lot to live up to, but uh, I was very impressed. I think it was one of the best first issues I've seen in a long time. And I have to say, I'm very critical of first issues. Like, my personal motto is, like, always skip the first issue because they're usually repetitive and terrible and predictable. But this one was not. No, I, I agree. I that agree. is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life because the first issue was supposed to be the it's one that the one to get you excited. Bunk, I right? know. Yeah. yeah, but usually they're paint by numbers origin story or paint by numbers. No kidding, there I was. Um, and usually I find that it's the second issue that where they actually get into the actual story that I'm interested in, but not in this case. In this case, it was not predictable. It was well, not what I was expecting, and it was well, awesome. Well, you don't like bad origin stories, is what you just said, Kate. But, yeah, um, well, um, but a lot a great, of them are. I thought it was a, a, a nice, uh, nuanced turn on, you know, the sullen teen origin the, the family life of a uh, Muslim-American family. Uh, there was great humor in it, I thought, um, uh, particularly with the father, and I guess is that a brother yeah. character in there? Uh, and, you know, it, it was just a great setup, I think, for the, for the story going well, forward. What I think also worked is it felt individual. Mm-hmm. Like, I often find that new comic characters take three or four issues before you get to know them as an individual. You almost feel like it takes the writer that long to figure out who their characters are. Whereas with this one, like each character from like the third sentence out of their mouth, you got a sense of who they were. Even the supporting characters, even the um, concern troll girl who you know shows up at the family store and is obnoxious to everyone. Like you, you even know the backup characters well mm-hmm. by their third panel. And so I really felt like it was really good comic storytelling. Like none of it was phoned in. Right. Like every panel was was not just a Solentine. But this Celentine, and she wasn't just sullen. She had other personality traits, which were very apparent. And like everyone felt like an individual character, right? You know, I I've yet to read this book. Um, hopefully, Kate's going to let me borrow my copy that's so why I, I brought can it catch in. up. And uh, but I will note that it was a surprise sales success. I think because um, uh, you know not everyone thinks that Ms. Marvel's a character that's really going to be a boom, but uh, did very well. Uh, what has gone to a second printing, and I think it was a you know sold a, above fifty thousand copies for the first issue, which is pretty darn good. And, um, you know, I'll just throw in there, I think G. Willow Wilson is, um, you know, very underrated. And her novel, A Leaf the Unseen, that came out a couple years ago, um, you know, has won some major awards. 
And, um, you know, this I might be she, her breakup. Oh, yeah. I mean, I and think she's she the, deserves I think it richly. She, I think she's the real deal. I mean, she I think is she's the real, the real deal. deal. She's a real lifer just in storytelling terms. And uh, I'm very happy for her success. And, she's, you know, I'll actually be interviewing her at an event in a bookstore in Jersey City on the 24th. And, um, you know. Do you think maybe you can get something from the podcast for, for uh, you her? You know, maybe I can. Maybe I can. Let's see if I can maybe uh, work that out. So, yeah. I'd uh, right. love to have her on here. All right. Well, uh, obviously, we'll be revisiting Ms. Marvel yeah. as well. All right. News briefs. And now, the briefs. Um, speaking of diversity in comics and how sometimes they're not handled as well as they should be, DC has made a little oopsie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> has DC done something stupid today? <laughs> Gosh, Heidi. Apparently. Um, which not only, which managed to offend two key groups, um, people who care about racial sensitivity and uh, comics continuity hardcore people. Um, so, so two groups that generally don't like each other very much are both mad at DC this week. There oh, a happy day. Um, because, you see, backstory. Um, Oliver Queen, a.k.a. Green Arrow, had originally, new, pre-New 52, had a son named Connor Hawk who was not white due to his mother. And... <laughs> I like the way you phrase that. Go on. <laughs> well, I mean, his his heritage is rather Not complicated. Not quite due to mother. Yeah, but go on. <laughs> <That's> uh, <fine. laughs> but I feel that covers it, and yeah, very no, visibly really <laughs> brown. And and you know, he had the story of of being this sort of very back to basic Zen archer type. And so they decided that in the new Fifty Two Earth Two they were going to have some character called Red Arrow, who originally was supposed to be an alternate version of Roy Harper, who is white and red-haired and uses lots of guns. And so this version was white and red-haired and used lots of guns. But at the last minute, they decided he should be Connor Hawk, who now is white and red-haired and uses lots of guns. Everyone is very confused and moderately offended by this life choice. So, um... Everyone's hoping that that turns out to be his assumed identity, and he's actually somebody else, because it makes no sense. And also, at the same time, in the same comic, uh, DC also whitewashed the assassin character of Onyx, who was originally black, and now is a white goth, and uh, no one knows what that's about. So... um, Maybe don't do that next time, DC. (laughs) Good time. (laughs) The wonderful world. <laughs> DC characters. <laughs> but uh speaking of a publisher doing something right, um Dark Horse is doing a benefit for their creator Stan Sakai of um Usagi Yojimbo, who is going through some very terrible financial times right now due to an illness in the family. And they're having a benefit book called The Sakai Project coming out in July with, I mean, a really amazing list of creators in it. I mean, they've got Adam Hughes, they've got Alex Maleev, they've got um, Bill Morrison, Brian Michael Bendis, Dave Gibbons, Jeff Smith, Matt Groening, Mike Bignola, the list goes on and on and on. And um, this is really a, a nice example of a publisher doing what often the comic fans feel they need to band together to do for creators right. that publishers won't. Well, I, you know, Dark Horse is a long-time publisher of Stan's book, and 
Um, you know, we just did a book that came out, I think it's 47 Ronin, that uh, publisher Mike Richardson did, did the script for. So obviously he's very near and dear to the Dark Horse family. And, and they're stepping up. The family is stepping up, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I always say comics people are the best people in that way. Yeah. Uh, it is one big tribe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the tribe is standing by It's a, fun, a funny tribe. Yes. <laughs> it has some yes, weird we, members, yes. but... <laughs> But it's our tribe. Yes, it's our tribe. <laughs> our tribe, smelly though it may be. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Young Adult Library Association, YALSA, has put out their annual list of great graphic novels for teens. Um, and so their top ten are Will and Wit, uh, Faith Aaron Hicks's The Adventure of Superhero Girl, um, Dogs of War, Mind Management, which I wouldn't have thought of as a graphic novel for teens, but, you know, points for thinking outside the box. Uh, Rust, Volume 2, Secrets of the Cell. March, Book 1, from Representative John Lewis Mm. and Andrew Iden. War Brothers, the graphic novel. Strobe Edge, Volumes 1 through 6, from Viz. Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, by Prudence Shen and Faith Aaron Hicks again. And uh, Boxers and Saints by... Yeah. You know, we're happy by to say we've had yeah. tons of those people on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As uh, guests, actually. We've interviewed quite a few well, of them. Well, so. actually, to to clarify, uh, Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong is, is co-authored with Prudence Shen. I shouldn't have yeah, left that yeah, yeah. Um, I, and this I sort is of the, know her. The, the full list is 78 titles. Um, yeah, but those are the top yeah. ten. Yeah, but these those are the, are the top, top ten. ten. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a fabulous list. They, they, they do this every year. And it's a, it, obviously, it's a huge boost to the publishers and the artists. Okay. Because librarians all over the country will like pay attention yes. to this for sure. Yes, it's it's a big list. Mm. For... Anyway, so uh, that wraps it up for this week. We will see you next week. And until next time, there's more to come. <laughs>